You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. From the kickoff to the shootout, we're amped up, we're ramped up. For a breakaway from a set play, it's a give and go in the score zone. Hello everybody and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host Ian. With me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my co-host, a man who fought the law of total probability and the law of total probability won, it's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Hey, what's up? How are you guys doing? <laughs> it's fun. All right. That one I went... <laughs> that was a little more uh, high. That was a little more high-minded that time. I was going for a higher concept one. Uh, hopefully, uh, it's, it sounds like it pleased you. Um, man, I thought that given the short shrift that the Major League Soccer schedule kind of got last week because of international breaks, that we were going to struggle to get through an hour or 45 minutes if things go efficiently. Um, But we've got stuff to talk about. Things are happening around the world of soccer. It never stops, does it? No, not really. I mean, even even during these breaks where supposedly things take time off and people kind of get a chance to recoup, it seems like we still have news coming out. Maybe that's just due to this being an early uh, early part of the season, stuff still happening. Yeah, like there's still a window open. Um, we're hearing rumors that Minnesota might get another striker, a Darwin Quintero. Um, what does that mean for their other strikers? We'll get into that, probably. Maybe. If we have time, we will get into that at some point. In the next couple of weeks, I promise you that um, it's uh, yeah, it, it's just there's a lot happening. Uh, we've got a big weekend coming up. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I think uh, oh, Friday night soccer too is back uh, for this at least, albeit temporarily. Uh, you put so I, I you bring that up, and I'm just gonna hit you. I'm gonna peg you with it right now. Yeah. So you said in Slack, you were talking with another couple guys, and yeah. you said you dislike Friday night soccer, and I'm I, appalled. I do. It's um, very selfish of me because I do uh, commentary and gifts on all the games. And so usually what happens is that Friday is kind of my free night. But when they do, they tack one game on like a late Friday night, then I lose Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. So it's sure. just me okay. being selfish. Do you understand? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm a very self-centered person. Yeah. Uh, Ian, uh, so. That that being said, I, I'm looking forward to Friday night soccer. I, uh, it's still early in the year, so I, I'm nowhere near burnout or anything like that. So uh, just as a, and it's it's just a, it seems like it's going to be a very occasional kind of event this season, which is probably the best way. You know, keep it special, leave them wanting more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get into it. So uh, as has become tradition here at the American Soccer Analysis Show, uh, we have one feature that we repeat, and that is the interesting side of the week, and. Uh, this week, uh, that, sh- that comes to us from our friend Sean, uh, who gave me nothing to say, which is great, because I'm sure I wouldn't have wanted to say it anyway. <laughs> um, and he pointed out that looking at NYCFC's um, you know, X-Chain, uh, Sean Johnson was like third, and that seemed a little bit high, so we looked at it. Uh, and this weekend against New England, Sean Johnson attempted 83 passes, and uh, we looked into it and uh, I 
we consulted whatever resources we have. Eventually, we reached out to uh, good folks on Twitter, Paul Carr uh, and, and Benjamin Bear at Major League Soccer, and they both were able to confirm that as far back as their records go, that is by far the most passes a goalkeeper has ever attempted in a game. Um, you know, the amazing thing about it, too, is, yeah, a lot of them were long passes, but most of them were not, uh, just kind of playing the ball around the goal. And we know that, you know, Patrick Vieira, this is a thing he likes to play out of the back. And I think that we saw him play out of the back more than he's ever played out of the back before. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if this is not part of the fact that they had uh, New England starting. You could kind of see it in some of the gifts that uh, that we've that you produced, uh, as well as uh, with the shots that we put out there for uh, well should be up in the next day or so for uh, this week's uh, lowered expectations where we kind of look at the expected goals uh, Mm -hmm. the high expected goals that didn't convert you know we saw a almost kind of a high press coming out of New England which was a little bit odd and I kind of think that if that maybe resulted in New York shifting their plans a little bit uh, a little bit further back um and that's just kind of something that I took away. They they also played a uh, a four one four one, which is a little bit more uh, conservative than what they've kind of been in the past. They play a little bit more of a four three three, which really the the difference being that Medina and uh, the other winger will kind of get up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And uh, without David Villa, it seems like they've kind of played a little bit more uh, compact and a little bit more. Um, counter-attacky, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think this is the kind of high press that we have been sort of expecting from New England and have yet to see like that, um, I don't know, that prevalent. So uh, that combination of things, I think, created this very unique statistical experience. Um, obviously, as an aside here, just something I enjoyed looking up today. Uh, without any question whatsoever, Sean Johnson is the most active passer amongst goalkeepers, and I would expect him to probably stay at the top of that throughout the year. But still early season, so that 183 kind of swayed his average. But at this moment in time, uh, Sean Johnson, goalkeeper for New York City Football Club, averages more passes per game than Darlington Nagby at Atlanta and Mario Diaz at Dallas. Well done, Sean Johnson of New York City Football Club. Uh, thanks to Sean for our interesting stat of the week. Uh Guys, uh, as always, if you have one, hit us up on Twitter and uh, let us know, and we will uh, generally read it over the air and also a message from you if you like. Um, Next topic of conversation we have, and this is one where I'm going to mainly let you go, Um, and I'm just going to – the United States men's national team played a match last night. I didn't get to see all of it. Um, What I saw was, you know, a friendly – so I didn't take a lot from it. Let, let's, but... let's be honest, though. Did you really want to? I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody no, watched it. There was a lot of complaining. And Mark Kastner sent out a tweet that I, <laughs> that was that was kind of funny. Uh, you could choose not to watch the game. And I think... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that right, though? I mean, it's true. Uh, I feel like anything I watch right now with the United States men's national team is just sort of... There's not like I, I don't want to draw conclusions from it because they don't have a coach. They don't have you know like there's no there's nothing this is looking forward to. Like, am I really gonna say, oh wow, like look at the way that this guy or, or Saracen, you know, look at the way that he used Will Trap because that that's not gonna matter going forward. I mean, like unless they just never get around to hiring a coach again and he just kind of sticks with it, which <laughs> I wouldn't like. I'm not ruling out, uh, but you know, it, it's just hard for me to kind of get. 
psyched about this, watching other teams prep for the World Cup, and, and, and you know, just to see us going like, well, you know, we called Timothy Way, and, and as happy as I am to, to see uh, Baby Way uh, on the team, and I think we need to do our best to not Jonathan Gonzalez that situation. Um, you know, it, it's a, uh, it, it's just kind of, I feel like I, I'm just like taking attendance. Like I'm just showing up just to say here to watch these games. Well, at this point. And, and I think that there's something needs to be said about Timothy way, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of people on Twitter that are very smart people, you know, and pointed out that he wasn't even the best player. He wasn't, a, a probably a top five player on that U 20 world cup team, uh, that just came about uh, what last year or a year and a half ago, and and really the the impetus to have him play isn't because he's the best or this once in a generation type player. He looks really good, and please, I'm not in any way trying to disparage his talent, but in terms of why I think a lot of people wanted to see him make the field was it doesn't necessarily cap tie him. And uh, Tony Chani was thrown out a couple times as, you know, an right. example of, you know, <laughs> yeah. playing for the U S men's national team in a friendly, and then going to, I think Cameroon um, yeah. afterwards. So obviously there's examples in the past of friendly cap ties, not meaning a whole lot, but I think that it was just the, the fact that he's a dual national um, and the fact that his father is a president of uh, that Liberia. nation now, yeah, of Liberia, Liberia. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's, it suddenly becomes, <sighs> there's a lot of anxiety. Yeah, it, and you, you hit the nail on the head with, with Jonathan Gonzalez just happening. A lot of us just want to see that uh, affirmation that he wants to play for the U.S. And, and we do that by, you know, by relating and saying, hey, we want you to play. Here's an opportunity in a meaningless game to go out and show us something. Yeah, or just to show that you're in our thoughts. And I think that's, if for nothing else, um, this is what these things are for I, I, at I, this point. No, I agree. Um, and I would say that although he, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I don't think I'm good enough at evaluating youth talent to, to make a call on where he kind of stands amongst his, his peers. But I, I mean, I would say that even if he is the fourth or fifth best player off of that youth squad, he's the player that's in a position that we're going to need a very good player at as well. Um, so it, it's it's one of those that, that, that I think is definitely worth. Get in there, like give this guy a phone call every day, send him emails, send him evites, send him send him some, some e-cards, some Amazon gift cards, whatever you got to do, keep this kid happy. Uh, I think that, that he will have a, a good future for the United States men's national team. I did like seeing all the Instagram photos of him with uh, DeAndre Yedlin. Both yeah, of them kind of cool. be. I I don't follow a lot of players on Instagram, and I don't. I, I guess I still have Yedlin on there, and I just was scrolling through pictures the other day, and I just. I know it's kind of stupid, but in a way, I just I want some of these dual nationals to have a bond, have a per- person that bonds them to this team, because really that's what it's about, right? Yeah. That's that's part of what makes. Th- this experience uh, more valuable is that bonding. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To become part of just, a team, it's hard to turn your back on them. It's a silly, it's a silly thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I and a lot of times I discount uh, like those types of relationships. Um, but uh, in the in the idea of going forward, he's more apt to stay with the United States, assuming he's going to be good enough eventually yeah. to to continue to contribute um although you know 
he what he created two sh- helped create two shots over the course of two minutes or excuse me uh, 16 minutes so that is, I mean, that is my understanding yeah that's like a third of what we did the entire game so all right so uh, a couple of things that i that i earmarked that i wanted to mention was uh kenny and i don't know if you want to call him safe if you want to call him seth or if you want to call him saif uh there was a few different things that, that he was called on the broadcast even and so yeah um, <laughs> i'm I call him the saif uh, yeah saif is kind of the saif way to say it um okay uh <laughs> oh i got it okay it took I, I you a it. second i got i got there late but there it is there, there's your chuckle <laughs> in general i mean we just we, we Playing for Andrew, like it was, it's kind of like how it was a couple years ago with uh, Sasha Kleschen. We really didn't know a lot about what Kleschen had become in his four or five years uh, over at Anderlecht. So uh, right now, th- this season, he has one goal in nine games. I don't even know how many minutes he's played, or you know what that really translates. Uh, so it's it's kind of hard for us to evaluate somebody uh in his position but i thought he was really interesting in the time that he he was on the pitch um specifically i liked at the 15 minute he had a shot that was blocked off of a failed cross from uh villafania um that basically uh i think it was darlington nagby grabbed the loose ball did a little give and go to uh marky delgado and yeah. created space right there in the middle for saif and saif just kind of one-timed it there was a lot of chaos that it could have become something but it was a high leverage shot and his positioning uh, throughout the game you could see he just kind of wanted to drift into that zone 14 that there was just kind of an abscess of um the whole game there it just was empty um i, I have a lot of uh frustration towards bobby wood and i think a lot of people do but that was kind of the main thing but um i I liked his choice uh to take the free uh the shot on the free kick there in the second half um his first free kick wasn't really very good it was this long you know high looping ball that was really uh dispatched by uh paraguay's uh um keeper pretty easily um so on the second one, it lacked a little bit of pace, but at least he took a shot and at least he kind of tried, especially being that it was kind of basically a free shot attempt. And I know Tony Miola on the broadcast didn't really like it coming from the keeper's perspective, but, um, you know, when you're having trouble creating opportunities and you're given something in about 20 yards, you should be taking that shot. That's, that's, you know, I'm not the, the player i'm not the coach but from an analyst perspective that's what i want to start seeing if my team can't do it from open play you're going to have to create those opportunities through uh through dead ball situations so i was really glad to see that he took that opportunity and overall he had uh six recoveries three interceptions two shots uh and he was two of four uh from dribbles uh, along with uh 19 total uh final third passes which you know for 67 minutes i thought was really strong um, again, I liked his movement. Uh, I, I liked a lot, a lot of his passes, uh, pass attempts and uh, attempts to kind of work with uh, Villafania and uh, Bobby Wood. Uh, I do think he had some uh, some misguided cross, but uh, I, I and it's always hard to to lay that either at the uh, at the players' feet or at um, the coach's feet. One specific instance kind of always comes to mind is Tyrone Mears in the second half of the 2016 season to where the first half, um, 
basically Siggy Schmidt's uh, reign, he was right. just cross happy, cross happy, cross happy. And then you look at Brian Schmetzer, and all of a sudden his cross is just completely dried up, and instead he's cutting into the middle of the field. I felt like I could see him starting to steer himself into the middle of the field and then would pull himself out of that to do what the coach wanted him to do. And so uh, that was me interpreting the game. I don't know if that's any – did you see anything along those lines? Did you notice any of that? I mean, I feel like there's always this – when a player is kind of feeling out a game, I think you see them kind of take these early long balls because it's very hard to yell at them for that because it's like, oh, you know, he tried. That's a reasonable thing to try, I think, for a lot of people to see. I hate it. It's one of my least favorite things in the world is, is, is that early cross. Um, you know, just because it's just so low percentage and then you could just get dragged and bogged down in them as we've seen, uh, you know, several major league soccer teams do before. Um, when a player's feeling confident and, they, and they're out wide and they start cutting inside, like that's when things start to get a little bit more dangerous because you do have, ideally you have that width coming from the fullback still and you just given your the rest of your team more time to kind of set up to receive a crossed pass. Um, so I agree. Um, I think that that is a thing that just will come with confidence and like at comfortable, you know, as he gels with the team. So the next thing that kind of, it got brought up a couple times uh, was the striker pool. Uh, and basically yeah. the, the, the pool of strikers uh, and the lack of depth that we have right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's forget about, island, it's yeah. a little island of misfit toys, isn't it? <laughs> it kind of is like so forget like the fact that Bobby Woods scored the penalty last night he didn't earn the penalty uh the run-up to the penalty itself was like anxiety filled and not from the oh my gosh I hope like from a fan's perspective of I hope yeah. he converts this but <laughs> it was like this look too happy to be taking it no like I, I my liner notes was like he was internally screaming on that run-up <laughs> ah, don't um yeah yeah I mean I guess Okay, let's let's break it down. What have we got? How what does this depth chart even look like at this point? So according to American Soccer Now, which I think it needs to be updated, but they have kind of a rough pool of I think like twelve players, and what I what it consists of is Bobby Wood, Josie Altador, Clint yeah. Dempsey, who's I, I don't yeah. not know, uh, Paul Ariola, not, not a striker, a he's a wide nope. forward. Jordan Morris, <laughs> injured, see above. Um, he's not he's a wide forward to me. Um, You'll have to convince me otherwise. CJ Sapong, Juan Aguadello, Dom Dwyer, Chris Wondolowski, who's done. No. Brooks Lennon. Uh, I yeah. don't even. I don't understand how that's even in the yeah this, pass. This list. Pass. Right. Uh, <laughs> Will Bruin, Christian no. Ramirez, Giazzi Zardes, uh, Josh Sargent, Aaron Johansson, Kakuta Mane, and then right. they. They were on Tommy Thompson and Patrick no, Mullins, and yeah, no. we can just cross those two out. I love Patrick Mullins. There, there's a I'm lot. I'm glad of, he's on there for you. I, I yeah, like, like, we'll just let's not get bogged down in that. Right. And you know, Timmy Way, good old baby Way, he's there. He's kind of uh, yeah, he's kind of a wide for. I wouldn't put him as a striker option. He's um, young enough I, to learn. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I suppose that's that's a fair uh, discussion. I don't know a lot about uh, where he's best utilized. In fact, to be perfectly honest, anybody that was on the U twenty uh, team, I, I probably don't have a. Re- I'm not the best person to be talking about this, right? But one thing that's been abundantly clear over the last six, maybe even a year, is the U S. really wants to use a four one four one slash four three three. 
Um, yeah. it, it's it's kind of been what they've but gone this to. Could change. This could be a change again. This is what I'm talking about. No, it, but but that's and that's totally fair. But I'm not just talking about the senior team. You also yeah. look down at you know the oh, okay. the baby Nats. You look at um, the U even the U16, U14. This these are the uh, Tab Ramos has even talked about how this is what he wants to. This is how the the youth national team is being um, bred is to play in a four three three. That doesn't mean they always will. You you have to have tactical flexibility, but this is this is what they're being instructed to learn, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, not think. necessarily from uh, hey one size you're going to be either a winger or you're going to be a central you know eight. But at least to have some continuity that whether you go from the U17 or U20, you're going to kind of know what formation they're going to go with, right? There might be some changes, but this is primary, and coaches are going to influence that also. But this is kind of, I mean, this isn't crazy talk. This is probably looking at the players that we have, um, I I kind of, I don't think Wood's skill set sits very well with being a, a single striker by himself. And if we want to continue going down that 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one, or that 4-3-3, three, three, I, I think he, he kind of seems to me, and you can correct me if you, if you think otherwise, but he kind of wants to run all the time. He wants that over-the-top pass, um, and I think that he lacks a little bit of strength for the holdup play. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think he has the pa- he hasn't shown a passing ability to spray the ball wide when he draws in those center backs, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, the way I look at this is you need holdup. You you basically have two sides of the camp. You have the counterattack camp, which is going to be the over the top, throw it, uh, throw it high, throw it long, constantly direct, or you have holdup camp. Which is, you know, the Josie Altador, um, draw in guys, spray the ball out wide, attack, f- attack from wide, basically, and be creative from wide. That holdup camp consists in this order of Josie, CJ Sapong, Will Bruin, Christian Ramirez, and that counterattack camp is Bobby Wood, Juan Aguadello, Dom Dwyer, Josh Sargent, Jazzy Zardes, and Kakuta Mane. Um, I don't know where Aaron Johansson fits. I have no idea at all. But that—that's kind of how yeah, I see this. I, I, I kind of at this point wouldn't count on Aaron Johansson being. Uh, I, you know, kind of major people keep of, throwing him out. It, 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 I mean, yeah. Well, he plays in Europe. He's you know, Europe, you know, dual national. I can see why he looks attractive, but I mean, again, like, I think we're at the point where we would have hoped to have seen a lot more of Aaron Johansson at this point. Um, kind of with this team, but anything can happen again. Like I said, this is all new. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I agree with your your camps for the most part. I, I think, I mean, just looking at these, like I'm so unenthused by the holdup camp in general. Um, I, I, mean, I, I would really like to see CJ Sapong. If you're not going to do use Josie out the door, I would really like to see CJ Sapong get. I mean, what he had a decent showing back in January, right? I didn't yeah, think yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, You know, he yeah, is a it was bit... just like that holdup guy. I mean, it, it's just, I don't. He's yeah. He's 29, so you know he's a little bit older. Um, yeah, and and I, I get, and so is Bruin. Bruin's 28. Um, Christian Ramirez, I think, is the youngest at, at I think, 27. 
Um, so uh, the holdup camp itself is all pretty old, but uh, I'm sorry, Christian Ramirez is 26. So he's probably the most viable of all those that are going to do that. But even Christian Ramirez, Christian Ramirez is an elite striker. Right. You're, you're asking him to do the two things that he does really well, and that is hold the ball up and pass it. Mm-hmm. Uh, find positioning, and when you get an opportunity, take a shot. Yeah. But primarily, you're hoping that shot creation's coming from your wide players. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's again. Now we're hoping that Josie Altador doesn't get hurt, which I mean is I, the, the miles that he has. Team. Yeah, I mean, he he has so many miles on his legs, and he has so many a history of hamstring issues so i mean it's basically christian polsic doing it himself at this stage so i mean i just don't see like i I don't think i mean even with this camp like i just don't like bruin's not gonna be in that group like there's just no way well you say Uh, he's not the question isn't whether or not he will be because we we already know that but will bruin (laughs) let's maybe he does maybe he deserves it more than than some of these other guys i mean i wouldn't disagree with that i i I just i feel like that it's like that is just such a again until we get another coach in and see what they're interested in like he's just the opposite profile of what the coaches we've had have wanted and see i i think that sometimes uh, marky delgado and we'll talk about him in just a second but he's a, a prime example he wasn't fantastic, but he doesn't have to be fantastic to fill in his position, right? He yeah. has to do two, three things really well, and that's it. So long as he's doing those two, three things really well. And you look at Will Bruin. Will Bruin and Josie Altador have almost identical shot uh, profiles. Yeah. The shot volume and their locations are really similar. Like their mm-hmm. expected goals, what makes Josie Altador better than Will Will Bruin is his passes, drawing fouls. It's all these little uh, peripherals that mm. uh, Josie Altador does so well. Um, that's what makes Josie Altador a better option than Will Bruin. But that doesn't make Will Bruin a, necessarily a bad option, right? If you're going to ask Will Bruin to do those two things, be in position, spray the ball out wide when you can hold it up, mm-hmm. he can do those things. Yeah. And I'm not, again, I prefer C.J. Sapong. I think C.J. Sapong would be a really interesting uh, option. And I think Juan Aguadello and Dom Dwyer would also be really interesting. Um, but I, I don't see either of those guys being good candidates in uh, a one-striker, yeah. lone-striker well, situation. I mean, we have to be looking a lot younger at this point. I mean, there's just no getting around that. Well, sure, but I, I mean, at this stage, we don't have a lot of young options. I mean, the, the, the as far as the young options go, I mean, that's, uh, you know, Christian Sorry, Ramirez, Zardes, Sargent, uh, Mana, and Okakuda Mana could be an interesting yeah, option. Um, yeah, way. I mean, there are names. It's just, it's sort of a... Um, at this point, like, I feel like the mentality for this pool is just kind of like... All right, I mean, are we really, like, stressing about... I, I guess it's fair. We have to try to compete in those things, too, like Libertadores and uh, Gold Cup and, and such like that, you know. But, like, looking, you know, to the next, like, World Cup squad, like, if that World Cup squad has CJ Sapong on it, like, I will eat a hat. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not... I, I, I'm very frustrated with the United States men's national team right now. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> let's talk, talk about something. Well, let's talk let's about talk something. Let's talk about counter 
Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to talk about counterattack. Let's just let's let's get away from your frustration. Let's talk about something happy. Let's talk right. about that tr- that trio that beautiful central midfield, young central midfield, which was bombastic last night. Yeah. Um, Will Trap and the difference between Will Trap and Michael Bradley, the talent gap is so small right now. And, and I, I'm probably going to get a lot of people that yell at me and a yeah. lot of people that uh, will uh, argue this point. But Will Trap, uh, in terms of if you look at just club play, they're very similar players. Uh, Bradley gets uh, more defensive actions, but Trap himself is a better passer. Uh, Michael Bradley has all. There's been a lot of people that talk about Michael Bradley in passing. I really, I don't see it from a statistical point of view. Um, he's really good with the the expected buildup, which is um, basically uh, being a part of any shot that isn't the actual shot or the pass leading up to the shot. Yeah, so, I think what I think what people like about Bradley's passing skill set, and this is just my impression, is. Uh, even if they don't have a way to like, formulate it, is that what they like is his passing range. Um, I, I think that he's thus far in our pool, like uh, uh, kind of a, a head above other midfielders in that way about getting long passes uh, out wide the flanks. Uh, you know, it, it's not something you want to necessarily see a guy in that position doing, but it's something like where he's had to pull the strings from so far back before that it's nice that he does have that skill set that he can kind of go to if he needs to. Um, that being said, I don't think Trap is that far away from that either, though. I think well, I think Will Trap is the be- is better at that. I think he's better yeah. at playing the long balls than Michael Bradley is. Now, I think Bradley is a much more agile defender, and yeah. uh, I I, th- I I think that he's a much smarter player in that he fills in uh, passing lanes better. But um, yeah, I I think I think what we're talking about the difference between those two is really small, and that's really exciting. Like basically, you get to choose between which one you want to play for the best for what fits the opponents. I, I think that's that's a really positive thing to have. So we've got this trio here, and here are a couple names I do not see on this list that I know people will want to know about: um, Roldan, Acosta. Um, are they kind of in like a tier below these guys, you think, or are they still in this mix? Oh, I think definitely that uh, Roldan is definitely in this mix. Um, I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't get more minutes, um, but at least he got some. That was that was positive. <laughs> I, was Aco- just, I was disappointed that he wore the number nine shirt and didn't go in at striker. That was a disappointment. <laughs> I was like, maybe uh, we've solved all our problems here just like that. <laughs> So, Kellen Acosta, and, and, you know, both of us have been rather vocal about this. I, I very much think he's an overrated player. Um, yeah. I, and, and look, but he's a guy that's been around this team a lot. Like, he's been at this level before and shown, all right. I mean, he hasn't been like, oh, my gosh, he's mind-blowing. But he's a guy that, that has shown that like he can step into this role and not be, like, overawed by it, I think. That has to count for something. Well, the... So by this rule, are you talking about play spray the long ball or fill in defensively? Because that's the no, thing, he's right? Not much like of a defender either, though. Is he? It, it, well, no, and that's kind of the thing, right? That's that's to my point. He he, he understands some of the uh, 
he's a worse passer than uh, than Bradley, and he's a worse defender than Trap. So I, I don't see where like uh, maybe you kind of have him as third down the list, but I mean even then I'd put yeah. Tyler Adams in front of him. Um, yeah, I you know, so I, I really don't see. I think that he has a long way to go, and I think he has some interesting skills and some interesting tools. I just don't see where he fits right now. I think Christian Roldan is really good, but I think he's at a number eight. And I think he's somebody that you want to pair with, you know, somebody with like Will Trapp that has a little bit of versatility issues. Um, Marky Delgado, again, uh, as a number eight, isn't spectacular, but he was really interesting in that he did a lot of things, uh, a lot of little things, and he did them successfully. He just kept that ball rotating. He went and did the dirty work. He won plays that he needed to. Um, he didn't turn the ball over. He just, it, to me, Marky Delgado was unspectacular, spectacular. <laughs> and, right. and, and honestly, that was, that, that, that's really comfortable to see for a guy that's getting his first cap. Yeah, um, no, like against you know a Paraguay team that was, um, dude, they just they were just all over that midfield, and I felt like for the first time uh, watching the U.S. play a team that was going to press, I thought they were really comfortable, hmm. uh, and that was kind of fun. Um, the the last note that I had was um, this past Kyler Adams. So this past January, total total soccer show. Um, Love those guys. Listen to them a lot. Uh, they had Tab uh, Ramos on for a live show. And he had some uh, really interesting things to say. And uh, specifically, he had one thing about Tyler Adams that's kind of like stuck in my head. Um, Daryl Grove asked, what was Tyler Adams' best position? And Tab Ramos uh, said, and I'll, I'll read you the quote that I wrote down, inside midfielder. Like a number eight, number 10, kind of. I played a little different because I like to play my midfield inverted. I like for my more defensive go-getter guys to play the eight and 10 positions to go press high. And then in the U20 World Cup, this is what we did, had the more skillful player, Gideon Zelalim, play the six. But I like to do it different, and Tyler is the perfect guy to go get him. Um, So thinking about this in the construct of last night, it was exactly what the U.S. did. This is exactly what Dave... Uh, uh, yeah, Saracen said, yeah. Yeah, he, he constructed the, the 8 and the 10 quasi, basically two 8s, as Matt Doyle pointed out online, um, and just had them be the go-getter guys while he utilized somebody uh, really skillful and will trap underneath in, the midfield, in that midfield. And I thought yeah. that was... Uh, I, this just kind of stuck around and I really agree with Ramos in that this is really what Tyler Adams is probably best at is that quasi 8-10 role and I think that this is kind of going back to Jurgen Klinsmann and I don't know if I've referenced this before but I kind of wonder if that's not what Jurgen Klinsmann saw in Michael Bradley being a 10 uh, during that whole mm-hmm. experiment with Michael Bradley being a 10 was to try did, were we purposefully were we just bad at implementing a pressing situation and <laughs> I mean, truthfully, yeah. uh, was it just that, you know, we were bad at implementing a high press to which it would have made a lot of sense for Michael Bradley to be that forefront in that press. He, you yeah. know, he has a great engine. I can, he plays a lot of really good, small, short passes. That makes a lot of sense to me now. Uh, and it kind of makes me look at uh, the, 
the Jurgen Klinsmann experiment with Michael Bradley a little bit differently, um, looking at it from this perspective of what you're defining a 10 to be uh, mm-hmm. for you. Uh, going back to, to last night, I thought Tyler Adams had a lot of really good things, but what was great about last night wasn't just that they were really good. It was that there was things that we know they're going to get better at. Yeah. And that for me was, I guess that was the exciting part was to see certain little errors, little mistakes and be like, I know that's going to get better over time. Oh, Harrison, you watched a, you watch the United States men's national team game and had hope. I, I don't tell people that. I, I, yeah. You, you were like, I have hope for this. That's so, that's so sweet. Um, <laughs> all right. That is our United States men's national team roundup uh, from the biggest believer in the future of the United States men's national team, Harrison Crow. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> let's transition back to major league soccer, our stock and trade. Um, now I propose a new segment this week. Um, it's one that we'll probably not for- we'll probably forget to do next week, but uh, that is one where I see a player that I like, and using my eyes and my soccer guts, think to myself, "That's an elite player." It's something I overreact to based on small sample sizes, and then I come to you, and we break it down with underlying numbers and see if they stack up. And this week, uh, that guy for me is a guy I actually have had my eye on for a couple weeks now. Um, that's Felipe Gutierrez uh, for Sporting Kansas City. This guy is a monster, isn't he? Yeah, so there's a lot of indicators that, that show that he <laughs> he's kind of a steal. And it's, it's kind of odd because, as we were talking about earlier, I thought he was going to kind of be brought into, I guess, be the Benny Fellhaber, but also be yeah. kind of uh, that replacement, that future replacement for Roger Espinoza, more of a box-to-box uh, with bite and he's somehow replaced both of them? Yeah. Uh, let me just, this is quick rundown here. Uh, four goals this year, averaging two key passes per game, 3.8 shots per game, 47 passes per game, 5.3 tackles per game, 2.3 interceptions per game. He's doing a lot on both sides. Wait, are they inverting midfielders too? Is this the new thing? Well, and that's and that, that's funny because as you you brought up uh, saying that you wanted to talk about him today, and then watching the game last night with Adams and Delgado, it actually that's kind of what it spoke to me was that maybe Sporting's kind of playing that more inverted uh, type defense, but they still have you know. Uh, Sanchez there as their number six, so not quite right. And they're still utilizing yeah. uh, uh, Roger Espinoza and Johan Cruyff. Pseudo inversion. Yeah. yeah, so it, it, it's kind of weird in the sense that Gutierrez, he's occupying mostly the left side of the field. Uh, he was uh, he played on the right side the first game. Since then, he's been primarily just kind of stuck on the left side. and But he's been a huge impact. Uh, you, not just from you know the goals perspective, four goals in four games, really good. But uh, beyond just that, he's also creating. He's got the fourth highest uh, ex- uh, expected goal chains, which is just basically being in the possession chain of a shot being created. Which I mean, he, top four. That's really good, right? Um, talk about the the companies with ahead of him is Elise, Iguain, and Almiron, which all four. All three of those guys are MVP type uh, guys they're, right now. They're known to be good players. Yes, That's their reputation. Yes, um, I think. In addition, uh, I think he's seventh thus far in just total XG plus XA. 
from a defensive midfielder, that's pretty good. No, yeah, he, and it's not just that he's... Because he's not shirking his defensive no, responsibilities no. either. That's the other thing. Right, like, and what's crazy about it is it's not just these... Um, so he's had a couple of really good moments to where he's been in good places and had a couple of high-leverage shots back-to-back, uh, -back, mm -hmm. um, just kind of coincident. You know, he shoots it, it reflected off the keeper, he shot it again. So he's had a couple of those rebounds, okay. yeah. but it's not even just about the fact that he's kind of padded his expected goals in a couple areas, so much as um, he's gotten forward and has been in the attack, right? And yeah. not just from creating shots, he's been willing to take shots from outside the 18. He's also created, he has almost uh, a full one expected assist, uh, which early on is, is, you know, four games in, it's pretty incredible i mean there's only about 10 guys right now in the league that have that so um yeah yeah there was a play um against colorado this last weekend and we'll look into that a little more here in a second but um it ultimately led to i believe it was their second goal and uh you know he just kind of came up the league and just had this pass so he just managed to take out like five colorado defenders um and I, that was when I was like, who is this guy? Like, where did he come from? Like, he was not on my radar as someone I thought was going to be putting up, you know, top 10 numbers uh, this season. But but so far, it looks like Kansas City might have found themselves a bit of a gem. No, yeah, he's he, – I, I wouldn't say he's the the best – you know, player in MLS right now. You know, no, it's, no, no, no. Let's not go, you know, crazy or anything, but he's definitely probably a top five uh, midfielder right now. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. That's impressive. That's impressive. So, um, as we did talk about this today, I do expect his form to completely collapse over the next couple of weeks and make us look silly. So, uh, Felipe, if you're listening to this, and I'm sure you are, don't, don't make us regret this segment about you, or we won't do it again, I promise. Uh, let's go now and let's talk about, we had just a few matches, uh, over the last week, but some good ones. Uh, we'll just do our quick roundup here at the end of the show as we like to do, starting, uh, with, um, New York City, New England, ending in a 2-2 draw, uh, New England for vast, uh, periods of time in this game, looking quite superior, looking very, very good. Pinella finally looking like this guy that's, like, deserving of that DP status, um, uh, Fagundes doing what Fagundes does when Fagundes is doing his best things. Uh, overall, like great, great stuff from the offensive uh, part of the field. Very dominant. But, you know, again, defensively, they got let down. And uh, New York City Football Club without David Villa, now they got this guy, Shradri Tajuri. Tajuri Sharadi, excuse me. There it is. Uh, who scored two goals as well. Um, that kid's interesting, isn't he? Well, it's a jury and then Medina as well. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, both of, you know, talking about uh, this stuff on uh, Twitter with Dummy Run, it, I think that New York did a really good thing in, in selling Jack Harrison. I know that the opportunity cost of having Harrison for like maybe another three or four months would have been nice just because you already know his level of play, but they did an amazing job hunting down and finding some really good bargains. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if these are, uh, if the jury's a, uh, a TAM player or not. Um, obviously Medina's a, a designated young desert designated player. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, you know, 
they they went and found themselves some guys that you know they're going to have depth and even though you know they're out david via they're you know out um rodney wallace they're out you know all these different pieces that are dependable pieces for them going forward they're yeah. still able to come back from two down and well it, i guess over the course they yeah what they, they tied it they it was yeah, one yeah. one then two one, one and then two two yeah so but despite that they're still able to overcome those that being said uh i'm really worried about them defensively and you know uh alex kayans d- definitely looked like he had um some vulnerability um to him in this mm-hmm. game he just made just made a lot of um i don't want to say simple mistakes but it just it felt like um it just felt like goofs, right? Well, that if was that yeah, and that's it, that's atypical of him too. Yeah, he was so. I, I mean, going back up until that red card in the playoffs, I felt like he was probably one of the best defenders in MLS. Yeah. And since that red card, I kind of felt like, um, and, and I don't want to connect last season to this season because I, I I honestly think of them as uh, as complete. Um, different yeah, players yeah. I, I i think you 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 kind of have to um but i i am worried right now for if alex ring is is going to end the rumors he's going to miss it like what a month uh um, yeah it's about well it was four weeks last week i think he's got three weeks to go at this point i, I don't know if that's the way healing works uh but yes no uh, it, that... it is it's something you <laughs> schedule to exactly one date and it will not go before or after that date <laughs> It's very, very precise, Harrison. These are doctors. I, I'm, I'm right <laughs> now. Apologize to the medical community right now. Um, <laughs> I'm selling, right. I'm selling NYC stock. If that, there we go. That's, that's me. That's you selling NYC FC stock. I am buying because this team before not having David Villa was a death blow. And now they've got people that are contributing that aren't David Villa and they're getting results on the road, which I know it's New England, but that's a tough team to beat at home. They, they play very well there. Um, and, and uh, yeah, so I, I'm buying stock. I'll buy all of your NYC FC stock. I'll do it. Seven shots, man. Seven it, shots. I'm buying all the stock. I'm a, I'm a gambler. Um, uh, other New York team, the Red Bulls versus Minnesota United and the New York Red Bulls, three. Minnesota United, nothing. Um, Red Bulls are good, huh? They're, they're looking real nice. Yeah, that's uh, it. I think I think that's the technical term for it. Yes, good. Yeah, it's just good. Uh, yeah. They, it, look, they they just absolutely, and it doesn't matter who uh, who it is on this team. It just feels like they're just over flush with talent, and, and not just uh, attacking talent or defensive talent. They they're kind of like the entire package right now. They're bringing on guys. They're like who is this person? And like, oh, they're great. That's who that person is. Like, oh, he was in their USL team last year. Now he's awesome. There you go. You're like, great. Good job. You're both New York. Uh, they are, man, I think they're going to be, it's early. It's early. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to buy too much stock, but especially since I just spent all my money on NYCFC stock. But, uh, you know, yeah, Velo is a guy I was thinking about. Uh, Florian Velo, just a, just a guy. <laughs> he's great. Uh, yeah. I, I honestly was like, uh, who is this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alex Muil. Alex Muil. Well, okay. Like he Alex... was, like we knew who he was, but like now he looks like Pele. Like what is he doing? <laughs> he's dribbling people. He's throwing these incredible passes. You know, like just I I don't even know what to say about Alex Muil. But, but this kid, you're older and you're better, and he looks fantastic. Well, and, and not just that, but like Tim Parker has yeah. been an immediate impact. Like I, they, they just spent 
resources to make themselves better. And that's what's crazy is they had the resources to do that and get deeper and get better. And that should scare the daylights out of every team in the Eastern Conference. Because honestly, I think that they are the best team in the Eastern Conference. And I already was really high mm-hmm. on them coming into the season. I think... What about go. Toronto? What about Atlanta? Toronto is Toronto. They're still a very good team. They're still very deep. But to be perfectly honest, I haven't really thought very highly of their games. Well, in they're the still Champions in. League. They're still in CCL. No, I'm. So let's they're, let's. They're a split. Let's, they're a team divided. They're a split team. Let, but let's call it what it is, right? New York has even in the game. Like I, I will tell you that there's been a couple of CCL games that like people have ranted and raved about for New York that has been very game state driven, and they've been very lucky. Uh, let's let's. They got very lucky in Tijuana. New York did. But that being said, they came home and they. They played the game states. Like, Jesse Marsh handled it very well. Uh, Toronto, the CCL Toronto teams, yeah. played to this the same CCL uh, game state you know, situation, and they barely came out. This is sort of a... This is the one difference I would say about them, is that you're looking at all the other teams that were involved in CCL were, you know, doing bad. And, in, in like, Toronto's 0-2, Seattle's 0-2. Rebels are winning games... In Major League Soccer and the CONCACAF Champions League, and no, none of the other MLS teams were doing that. So there, there has to be something like a lot of praise for their depth. Um, I think we're going to see good things from the Red Bulls of, of New York here this year. I, um, I agree. So uh, another game. This one, uh, FC Dallas won. Portland won at Dallas. Um, there was awkward red card in this one, kind of in the second half. That sort of killed the last, I'd say, uh, you know, act of the game, um, as it were. But but all in all, I don't the, think there's the a hand lot of God. To... You know, <laughs> nice try, Olaf. Nice try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I, this is a good result for Portland, uh, honestly, on the road. Uh, getting a point, being a man down. Um, disappointing for Dallas, who were so um, you know dominant in a similar situation, albeit for longer, uh, against Seattle. Um, other than that, I think just one of those kind of bland afternoon games that just didn't really go anywhere. Um, 1-1 seems like a fair result based on the uh, based on the measure of play, I'd say. And uh, I think that's really all there is to say about that game. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there, there's not a lot of uh, positive things to not say. Not a lot of insight there. Let's move on. Columbus 3, DC United 1. Um, Columbus, some counterattacks. They got, they got legs. They got explosiveness. These are all things that we we knew. One thing that was really exciting, you know, we said the first week, I think both of us uh, did, was Christian Ramirez or Martinez looked really, um, really exciting. And it was really good to see him kind of finally culminate. I I say finally culminate. It's been a couple weeks. But uh, just to kind of uh, not just look good, but actually uh, impact the game in a meaningful you know, goal sport sort of way, right? Like yeah, he affected the game state. Um, He's on the box score. Right, exactly. And, and so that was fun to see for, for me from an outsider. Um, from the perspective of DC United, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how much longer uh, Ben Olsen gives Darren Maddox because it kind of seemed like he's losing and it sounds crazy because Darren Maddox has been so good at the beginning of the season but they really were quick with 
changes changing up how they're going to do things with the costa so it, it, i don't know it's going to be well really i mean they came out and got just jumped and they got pounced on you know i i think if they had managed to kind of keep that score closer longer you would have seen them get more time i kind of understand ben also was just like wanting to kind of shake the snow globe again uh, you know, no, that's not a good. Let's say etch a sketch. Want to reset? reset. Shake that etch a sketch. You know, <laughs> get that blank slate out there. Let's let's start redrawing up a new plan. Um, that that's kind of I, I think a result of that. And Ben Olson's always been kind of I think quick to quick to go to the quick to quick to pull the hook out if he feels he needs to. So I'm not too well, concerned about Darren Maddox yet. No, uh, I I really liked how he's handled Paul Ariola. I thought mm-hmm. Paul Ariola really uh, had a couple of bad games, and I was glad to see him kind of get the hook. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't think he was very good. Um, I don't actually remember like thinking, trying to jog my memory. I don't remember any like really clever plays that he was yeah. a part of. Yeah. You know, he had one shot outside the box, and that was about it. Like that, I, that was the moment. Um, yeah, really going to be interesting to see how he continues to go down. Uh, cause he's coming out. I felt like he kind of came out last season, you know, I'm here to be DC United and to kind of lead the reclamation right. project. Right, and right, right. now Yamil Assad has all that. And yeah. well, and I think, I think most of us knew that he wasn't going to be that. But we—I mean, I always figured he'd be more of a a good piece alongside some other players. Um, but certainly, throwing the whole mantle of fixing DC United on on Paul Ariel's shoulders was just—you uh, know—I mean, they—you can save that, but they spent all that money on him. Yeah, they—they they yeah. contributed a significant amount of resources. They contributed seven. Uh, they put seven figures down and said Paul Ariola is this guy. So whether you want to put the it, it on his shoulders or not, I mean, he made the list of you know most overrated guy guys on ESPN. Granted, that's a bunch of crap. They you know they pull a quarter of the league uh, for that, and you know even like from that quarter, only seventy five percent even put Responded. voted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what it, whatever that means, but East there are people. It's in their minds at least at least in a few minds, and I would agree, that kind of think he might not have been all that ham sandwich and chips. Okay. All right. You heard it here, folks. Paul Riola, not a ham sandwich. Um, Los Angeles Galaxy versus Vancouver. This game ended nil-nil, and that's a good result for Los Angeles Galaxy. Obviously, uh, missing a lot through injuries, ate a lot through... um, international call-ups uh their bench featured six players two of which were goalkeepers which is unusual uh but shows just kind of how short-handed they were um so to go to vancouver and take a point on the road is a super great result other than that um again this is i think disappointing for vancouver um but overall not a lot to learn from this match either la is sort of their season starts this week I think we all know that, um, and, and and with LAFC and with Slotin and um, so it's good to see them be able to be disciplined in a way that they weren't able to last year. Uh, like last year, this would have ended in a staggering loss for them. Uh, so there there are improvements uh, on that. I thought uh, Rolf Fletcher was good. Actually, I thought this was his first really good game for them. Um, 
but other than that, I, I I don't know. Do you have anything to add about this one? No, I thought that I you know I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I thought LA was really good defensively, and yeah. I think that's huge for them. Yeah, you know Vancouver. Honestly, so, uh, I I don't think Vancouver's defense is very good or attack is very good. I think they have some really interesting pieces. I really like Kai Kamara. Alfonso Davies is is fun and exciting. But you know the both those guys tend to wander. You know that they're yeah. not necessarily always the most consistent. That's you know, uh, Kai Kamara's got some definite height to him, not just in, um, you know, <laughs> physically speaking, but also from the aspect of, you know, the chances that he creates. He can create high volumes of really good chances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the other side of it is sometimes when you, you know, have some of those issues with connecting up to him, um, and Columbus saw this at times, um, you're, you're just... You're you're not gonna make it. You're he's you're, he's on an island. Yeah, he he suddenly becomes isolated, and it's really hard to get forward. And that's part of having the passers that they that the Vancouver has. I think they have a lot of, and I'll just say it. I think they have a lot of poor passers that can't yeah. connect the dots. And um, games like this are gonna just absolutely eat them up. Because to be perfectly honest, um, Kai Kamara should have eaten um, their lunch. He yeah. should have absolutely ravaged that back line. And instead, Daniel Starris had a really good game. Yeah. Uh, all right, our last game of the week. Well, it wasn't the last game of the week. Vancouver, LA was. But this is the last one on our list, for whatever reason. Colorado, uh, two, Sporting Kansas City, two. Um, Colorado jumping out two early goals, which shocked everybody. And finally, uh, people are starting to point fingers at that SKC defense and say, what in the world is going on? Now, last week on this very program, Harrison Crow, yeah. uh, <laughs> you said not to worry about this, that it wasn't as bad as it seems. Uh, are, are you still holding to that? Yeah, you know, it, it's really hard. Uh, Bobby Warshaw, and, and for whatever people want to say about him, I, I've really kind of grown to enjoy his uh, fresh takes. And, you know, he kind of wrote about it this week about the fact that there's um, he didn't see anything from a technical perspective that was wrong. And that being said, obviously from a data perspective and an analytical perspective, yeah. they are giving up a lot of expected goals. And I don't know how that's possible. I don't know. They still have, I mean, they have the same back line. They have the same five guys that they, that, you know, um, these are guys, Matt Beasler and Ike Opara, that are uh, abnormally MVP candidates. Like that's that's not just like you know yeah, something are, you want to. These are these are S tier. These are S tier center backs in Major League Soccer. Yes, absolutely. These are both guys that are um, not just game changers in in how the game is played um, against sporting, but they're also guys that can impact the attack. Uh, Matt Beasler is consistently one of the highest um, in creating shots from the back line. Uh, His long balls to, you know, uh, Dom Dwyer over the years have become just, uh, were just absolutely great. And Aiko Parra on set pieces, he might be right now the best defender on set, uh, uh, defender slash attacker on set pieces. He uh, just uncanny the way he can get up uh it's very similar to kai kamara um yeah i i i don't know what's wrong uh to say that i'm worried i think is a little bit of an overstatement 
right, but right. I, I do think it's kind of I think it's really curious. Um, that being said, I and I haven't looked at this, but I'd be really interested to know what the expected goals was after the two point after the two goals were scored. Um, yeah, we should look at that game state for sure. I, I'd be really interested, and I'd be really interested to know what the game state has been with uh with when it's not even. Yeah. Um, even game states are a little bit more uh, revealing in terms of defense. Um, but that being said, this is a defense that was one of the very best in expected goals, um, not just last year, not just for the last two years, but f- pretty much since Peter Vermees took over, they have been one of th- they have consistently been the best, one of the best teams defensively. So. Yeah, and you know it. There, when that happens, you know there's there's obviously a lot of breaks that go your way throughout the course of a season, and they certainly got the, their share of theirs last year, and maybe this year that's just kind of gone the opposite, and the balls haven't bounced quite right for them, and there's there's really no way that we can kind of point to that and, and show that, but it, it's not. It's not. It's not infeasible, is it? I mean, it's 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 possible. This is what's going on, and this will be fine, I, and they can no, just stay I, the course. Or yeah, so like the idea that they've given up nine goals, and they've given up, and they also have nine expected goals at the same time. That, that that's not. That doesn't say. That doesn't that, bode well. Well, yeah. I mean, so they those. It's not to say all those chances accumulate to nine expected goals right Right, so they could be getting a little bit unlucky with uh some of the opportunities um that being said i'm perplexed as far as how teams are getting these shot opportunities consistently um and and really colorado with two great opportunities early on um it's just it's just odd it's just it's just strange but stay the course are you selling your skc stock no Hmm. All right. Especially, that, especially not with Felipe Gutierrez. Especially not with Felipe Gutierrez. What a player. Um, and he is our American Soccer Analysis Show Player of the Week. Uh, Felipe, reach out if you'd like a prize. I'll send you something. Um, <laughs> I don't expect to hear from you. Uh, Dude, that's really, it, man. One of these times, I really want gonna someone's going to see like send me something. I'm going to be at a loss. Be like, do you want like a foreman girl? What do you want? Uh, that's it. We did it. One hour on the dot. We are getting so professional at this. Um, we are going to be back next week, obviously, uh, with some tasty uh, matches to, to talk about and some interesting stats, hopefully, and maybe another player that distinguishes themselves as the American Soccer Analysis Show Player of the Week. We'll find out. Uh, my name is Ian Lamberson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter during the weekends and all MLS games at Total MLS, where I'll be doing commentary and gifts. My co-host, as always, is Harrison Crow. He can be reached at Harrison underscore Crow on Twitter. Uh, follow American Soccer Analysis. Uh, on Twitter at Analysis Evolved, and please visit our website www.americansoccernalysis.com, uh, where we always have articles going up from some great writers, some really smart kids, some really smart people. Um, and uh, me and Harrison do a weekly feature now, uh, where we, we kind of look at expected goals and uh, find the ones that that, that uh, you know where the highest leverage chances didn't go in, the the lowest leverage chances that did. Um, with gifts, with with thoughts, uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's the most fun you can have while reading, I think, probably. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you again to my co-host. Thanks to all of the listeners. We will be back next week. Until then, enjoy the soccer.
Hit the game winner. 